what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our show here on TheMesh.TV where we talk about films, review some films, give a little bit of movie news, and also give our recommendations coming at you twice a month right now on our schedule. And if you hear some cars in the background and people and noise, outdoor noise, that's because we are outdoors. Actually, we're outdoors at the River Run Film Festival, which is being held in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's going on as we speak right now. We actually just came out of a screening a few minutes ago and taking a little bit of a break to go ahead and record the show so we can give you some reviews and in a minute talk about the film festival itself. Uh, Chris, how you doing? Doing great. Enjoying the festival. Yes, yeah, it's been pretty fun so far. So we've been having a good time. Chris and I have been hanging out for the weekend and enjoying some good films here and enjoying the hospitality of Winston-Salem, North Carolina as well. I think they've been putting on a really good film festival for us here. So what we're going to do today's show is we're going to have a review of the film Quartet starring Maggie Smith. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Then we'll tell you all about the film festival, at least the first couple of days of it. I guess that's all we're really able to comment on at this point. Tell you what we've been experiencing, and then we'll cap it off with our recommendations like we typically do on the show. Tell you about uh, some of the, the, the movies we think that are online you ought to be checking out. Just a reminder, Foot Candle Films, this is on the mesh.tv where we uh, host the show and we bring it to you free of charge, free to download, free to stream and play. You can go back and check out some past episodes at themesh.tv. Or you can go and learn more about the Film Society that's putting this together, Foot Candle Film Society at footcandle.org. So Chris, you ready to start talking about some movies? Absolutely. Great. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our first review, which is the film Quartet. At Beecham House for Retired Musicians, life follows a rhythm all its own. Fancy for a little rumpy pumpy. Qu'est-ce que c'est, rumpy pumpy? But a new arrival. Look! Welcome to Beecham House. Your room is a beautiful suite in what we call the B-Wing. Sounds like a prison. We'll change their tune. Boys, I know who it is. As large as life and twice as terrifying. I'm going to say something very rude. You. And you. Poor thing, she's having such a hard time. Move those hips! This is not a retirement home. This is a madhouse. Quartet tells us the story of a home for retired musicians. They have an annual concert, celebrate Verdi's birthday, but it's disrupted by the arrival of Jean, who is Maggie Smith. She is the wife, or former wife, of one of the musicians that's also there. Alan, Maggie Smith, one of the you know, big stars of Quartet, has been quoted as saying that she never watches herself on screen, be it television or movies, but that she may eventually catch up with her performances someday. With roles in the original Clash of the Titans, Gosford Park, the Harry Potter films, last year's Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and the current BBC drama Downton Abbey, just to name a few, she's got quite a bit to catch up on whenever she decides she's going to start catching up on things. Would you recommend her performance in Quartet as something that Miss Smith has to watch? Oh, that's a good question. And, you know, I'd completely forgotten she was in the original Clash of the Titans. That is awesome. I'd forgotten all about that. <laughs> um, 
I really like Maggie Smith. I think she's a great actress. I, I, I generally enjoy watching her perform. Quartet, I think, is a fine, serviceable entry into her film series. Not one that I would recommend she goes out and starts with if she wants to feel really good about her, her body of work. Not saying that it was a bad film. It's just there was nothing remarkable about it. I don't even think there was anything remarkable about her performance, necessarily. It was good. It was solid. It was typical Maggie Smith. But um, as far as I could think of 10, 12 other films or TV series, I think she should be checking out first if she's going to go back and review any of her body of work. So how, how do you feel about it? Uh, since you posed the question there. So. I can't remember when this phrase came up on a recent Foot Candle film, so we definitely used it. I'm going to use it again. Claptrap. Wow. Um, that's what I feel like this film is. Claptrap. Claptrap. And, that, and for those not familiar with the term, that, that's a negative term. That's yes, like a derogatory term. Claptrap. So you did not enjoy the film? No, no. I, it was, it was to me, it was pretty worthless. The only thing that was decent were the performances of Maggie Smith. Um, I'm, I'm on record as not being a Billy Connolly fan. Really? And he was like a loud clanging gong in this film. <laughs> Every time he said something, I was just like, oh, here he goes again. I found him so doing the Billy Connolly thing yes well, doing his shtick I'm just I'm tired of it I mean Grant I guess Maggie Smith you could say kind of does the same thing in every films but the way she performs with I think Grace and everything she doesn't bother me Billy Connolly I just I've had enough he was like he was doing the brave character but he was a dirty old man instead well and let's 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 bring a few more names into this discussion yeah. here too because yes Maggie Smith is kind of the, the big star name on this but you've actually got an even bigger star name behind the camera on this thing oh that's mentioned. true you got Dustin Hoffman who uh, is the director young up and coming actor Dustin Hoffman <laughs> right now actually his first directorial effort and uh, so that that for me kind of put an interesting spin in trying to watch the film I found myself watching it trying to think of it from a first-time director or someone who's been acting for 40-plus years now, um, trying to see how he approached the subject. And I guess that's what really surprised me is there wasn't anything remarkable um, with the film that, again, not only from Maggie Smith looking at it as a part of her body of work, but Dustin Hoffman to be able to say, this is my first directorial effort. There just wasn't a lot there. Um, I thought there was a few interesting touches with the use of music. I thought overall some of the transitions between scenes and periods of time that incorporated some of the music, this being taking place in a home for retired musicians. Uh, Some of the use of music to transition scenes or to help accentuate some scenes were nice. Other than that, there really wasn't anything to the film that I thought was interesting enough to warrant saying that this is a great first directorial effort for, for, for Mr. Hoffman there. I will say a discovery for me, apparently he is somewhat of a British star, but I'd never really heard of him before. Tom Courtney, who plays um, the husband, the ex-husband of uh, Maggie Smith's character, he was a discovery for me. I thought he was really, really good. I enjoyed him on screen. So that is definitely a positive, I can say, for the film, was I thought his performance was good. I cared about his character. So you're saying Tom Courtney... Good discovery. Everything else, claptrap. Yes. Wow. And you don't need to discover, hopefully, you don't need to discover Maggie Smith. So that's not a reason to watch Quartet. But Tom Courtney, yes. All if right. you were going to, if I had to give a reason, I'd say. You're more negative on this than I am. Although I I, I can say in general, I, I didn't terribly enjoy the film. I thought it was a fine, serviceable, passable film. Uh, you know, it did not cause me to want to throw up my hands and just want to run out of the theater. It's just that it, there was nothing remarkable about it. Uh, I think we've seen these, this story many, many times. Even saw it even in last year's Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. 
right. bring a lot of people in the latter stages of their life together, uh, moments of rediscovery, new relationships and connections, trying to reconnect with what it is they felt like made their life so so promising to begin with. It's all of that. It's the same idea. It's the same same message. I actually think this was not done as well as Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and that was a film I was already pretty lukewarm on to begin with. So I would agree, and I think a lot of it has to do with, obviously, personal taste. I mean, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel had a backdrop of India, which I find to be a fascinating country, yes. and as opposed to this had the backdrop of an old folks' home. So well, that's it was you know, a Downton Abbey-inspired old folks' home, you got to admit. Yeah, it, it did have a, a little more interesting visual tour, uh, flourishes than... Than some, but there again, you're right. Comparing it back to the India backdrop we had last year, uh, no, it's nowhere in comparison. And I think if you were a person that was highly interested in opera, then you may find this the end jokes of this film to be more amusing and you may sure. appreciate it more. I'm not that much of a fan of opera, so I'm kind of on the downside. I will say, kind of goes back to Tom Courtney's performance, one of the interesting threads that was in the film, and I assume in the, the original play that it's based on, was the lead character he has a at the old folks home he has people come students come and he gives them a lecture about kind of music and what it means and what opera is kind of a what is opera for dummies type mm-hmm. discussion because he holds these discussions at the at the home i thought that was interesting and kind of how he was trying to relate to young people and it kind of i, I thought that was an interesting thread that was kind of dropped and that wasn't the only instance of something that was dropped but and maybe it was just because it was the actor doing it and I cared about his character that I was interested in that thread, but I thought that was kind of a interesting window. It was the exploration of opera and how it even related to rap music and oh, yeah. R&B music. And, I mean, I think there were some interesting notes brought up during that that part of the discussion. But you're right, that happened halfway through the film and it never was really addressed again. Right. Uh, not sufficiently anyway. So, overall, I, I, I see what they were trying to do with the film. I admire some of the messages they were trying to get across. I just didn't feel like it really worked. Uh, it wasn't terribly entertaining. It had moments of entertainment, but not not consistent enough for me to recommend it. And uh, acting-wise, I don't think anybody was embarrassing. I don't mind Billy Connolly, unlike you. I, I think he's funny in doses. It just it was kind of beating you over the head with he's the one that says the funny line every time he walks into the room. And there were moments where they alluded to him having some health issues that never yeah. did yeah. anything either. There was a, just a lot of little potential subplots bringing up that they didn't do anything with. They were trying to give you more development of the characters, but it really didn't give you any. I even thought Maggie Smith's character uh, playing Jean, uh, her character development was all over the place. And I started on as a, as a stereotype in one direction, then she became a stereotype in the other direction by the end of the film. No real need for that progression. We didn't understand why. Right. That was a, it was, it was disappointing. So, um, Overall, I know our film society membership, for the most part, enjoyed it. I think it's a crowd-pleasing film for a certain kind of audience. But I'm looking at it from a you know, body-of-work type of film. Uh, there just wasn't a whole lot to recommend it there. So, Agreed. All right. So, unfortunately, guys, I'm sorry. We're having to say quartet. Not not the best recommendation from us on that. So, uh, But if you are a fan of opera music, if you'd like to see what Dustin Hoffman is doing for his first uh, directing debut... Uh, if you'd like, if you really, really like Maggie Smith, and you want to see some some great British actors at least putting in a serviceable performance, then maybe Quartet's one you want to check out when it's available to see. So, True. I don't think it's playing very wide right now, Chris. I mean, I don't think it got much of a release. Uh, we were fortunate to be able to show it at our film society, but beyond that, I don't really know where it's playing at the moment. So, it may be a matter of waiting a few months 
if anybody's interested in seeing it to see it online or DVD. So. All right, well, that was our review of Quartet. As I mentioned, we are at the River Run Film Festival, so when we come back in just a moment, we're going to tell you all about what we've been doing here at this festival and uh, some of the films we got to check out. So stay tuned. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan. This is Chris. Hello. Yeah, we're back here at the River Run Film Festival, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Beautiful day outside. We're outdoors at the festival here. Probably hear some commotion and traffic in the background. Uh, the, the, the festival really takes place right here in downtown Winston-Salem, comprising of four or five theaters, all most of them all within walking distance of the downtown area. So we're here. We've been here for the last couple of days, enjoying a few films. Chris, how have you? Uh, what's been your overall experience so far? What would you say so far with this this film festival? It's been great. It's kind of like a unknown gem. I mean, I hadn't really heard of it, and it's now it's the fifteenth year. Of Fifteen this festival, years of doing so this. It's yeah. doing well, and I'm 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 really impressed. Having a great time. 143 films are being shown this week at the film festival. Uh, from many, many different countries, and a, a good fair number of them, I think probably 20 to 30 of them, with North Carolina connections. So that's yeah. kind of nice to see that as well. Nice. Have some local ones as well. But a lot of international films, a lot of short films, a whole mixture of different things. So, Chris, let's just kind of swap a little bit, talk about some of the uh, the bigger films that we've seen, okay. and then we can talk about the short films here in a minute. Why don't you tell us about the first film you saw yesterday when we arrived? first film I saw yesterday was from Argentina, and it was a comedy called Mar del Plata. Mar del Plata. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it was really good. It's kind of a spin on a buddy comedy. It's two guys who are having relationship problems with their girlfriend or wives, and they get away for a vacation, a beach vacation. And it's, it's not, your regular, not your regular type thing because they how they relate to one another they're kind of best friends but yet they really irritate one another and constantly get on each other's nerves oh wow <laughs> um so it's 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 an interesting film and it was their the directors were there for a Q&A afterwards and they said how it was their first film and they made it for $90,000 so it's an impressive an impressive well, 90,000 bucks for a for a film that you know sounds like pretty high production quality as well mm-hmm. so money well spent on that overall you thought it was a, a good film there you enjoyed oh, yes. it and you had the directors in attendance on that film as well, right? Exactly. Good. Well, my first film was uh, a little different, not quite the uh, not quite the lighthearted one that it sounds like maybe yours was, or a little more fun. Uh, a film called Pincus by director David Finster. And uh, this was a film, um, it was a good film. It was a, it was a tough film to watch at times. It ha- having to do with a young man caring for his father who's going through, uh, who, who's basically going through Parkinson's disease. And the situation there is that this young man is also trying to find his path in life and having to deal with some other other things going on with his career and with relationships. But um, what I really liked about this film is that it blended perfectly the idea of a documentary and a narrative film. To the point where watching this, if you didn't know otherwise, you could swear it was a documentary. Because not only camera style, but just the authenticity of the acting and the story that was being told. Come to find out, the film actually did start its life as a documentary. But the director decided about halfway through the process that, you know what, I want to add a narrative thread to this and bring in some actors and kind of play this up a little differently. You thought that was a good decision? I I think it was, because I do think the actors added a little bit more... 
I don't know, add a little more dramatic flair to it, or where you may not have gotten that with, with just true documentary footage. Okay. Um, but what was interesting here is that some of the scenes in the film were still shot when it was a documentary, while others were interspersed with the actors being brought in to play certain roles. The director had a lot of his family involved. His father is the, the one playing his father in the film, okay. the one suffering from Parkinson's and supposedly still is and, and, and has gotten progressively worse since the film was done. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, it had a lot more going for it than just a run-of-the-mill, caring-for-an-elderly-sick-parent film. And uh, I also really liked the ending. I'm not going to talk about how it ended, <laughs> but I will say I really liked the ending. I thought it was a nice touch to the film as well. Okay. All right. Now, after that, you and I saw a film together. Is that yes. correct? We saw Prince Avalanche. Exactly. Which is the latest film from David Gordon Green. You may recognize his name a little bit. Uh, David Gordon Green recently been known to, to be producing some bigger comedies. Pineapple Express. Uh, the Sitter. The Sitter and Your Highness, which I haven't seen those last two, so I can't comment on those. But he actually started his film career with a much, much more smaller, intimate, and dramatic films. George Washington, All the Real Girls. Um, Snow Angels, which we got to show at our film society a couple few years ago. And uh, Chris, how would you describe Prince Avalanche? It's definitely a return to his more independent roots with a focus on characters and not really worrying so much about delivering laughs or and it's very loose storyline too. Um, and I, I am, I'm glad to see him back to where he started from because I really appreciated this film. And it's also yeah, it basically focuses on two characters, and those actors playing those two characters, it's important that they they can do it, and I was impressed. Emil Hirsch and Paul Rudd, they were able to do the heavy lifting, for me, yeah. at least. So, and, and so for this, this film at this film festival, it's kind of a big film, because obviously you've got some big stars. David Gordon Green has produced a, a lot of films and has gotten ratcheted up his name a little bit in the higher ranks of Hollywood right now. Um, but I'm with you. I, 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 this is probably my favorite film of his that I've seen so far mainly because he was able to get it grounded back again. He wasn't going for out-and-out comedy, although there are some great, you know, very humorous scenes in the film. Sure. Uh, I thought it was a very honest film. I thought uh, the relationship between the two main characters, I totally bought. I thought they played off each other very well. Uh, there was a lot more going on in this film, even to the point where you've got some interesting concepts brought up about love and about uh, the presence of love around us, which... There again, at the end, can, can be seen as a little ethereal, but I think it worked in the film. Mm-hmm. And overall, I, I thought it was a great, great, great movie. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, a little bit more of those touches we were used to seeing in earlier David Gordon Green work on that. And his camera work is just, it's beautiful. You know, a lot of yeah. the shots in the film are, are really beautiful. And I, I was kind of surprised, I saw at the end of the film, that it's actually based on, a, is it a Norwegian film? I, I believe so. It's somewhere in that area, maybe Scandinavian and... Uh, uh, it's actually a remake of a film that was just out a couple years ago. I mean, if you go online, you can see the trailer for the film it's based on, which I don't recall offhand what that name is. It's also an Icelandic film Iceland. called Either Way, 2011, Icelandic film called Either Way. And uh, just, I don't know if we really gave a good synopsis on it, but it's basically two, two guys working on a road crew out in Texas where there's been tons of wildfires burning down swatches of land. They're having to go back through and repaint the lines on the roads, put back up road signs, basically tend back to the road so they can get that that area livable and serviceable again. And the whole time they're both dealing with some of their own issues, some more weighty than others. Yes. But uh, Paul Rudd dealing with a, a uh, romance he's involved with and uh, his feelings toward that. And then Emil Hirsch dealing with possibly the lack of a romance in his life. <laughs> so um, 
it's a good mixture of comedy and drama, and I think it worked really well as a film. Absolutely. And it, commenting a little bit on David Gordon Green's past, a lot of what he specialized in was those scenic shots of nature, but also of kind of small town life and also maybe a little bit of decay, you know, like mm. urban decay. Now, granted, they're in kind of the backwoods area of some of Texas, but they still are able to bring out his eye for capturing details like that. And I could, I think it's a very David Gordon Green signature film. Mm-hmm. And I yes. was really happy to see that. I was too. And again, I've, I've seen most of his films at this point, maybe half of his films at this point. So far, this has been my favorite of his. So I was really happy to see that last night. Now, let's come back to the short films in a minute. Let's talk about the films we just saw this morning, because you and I both saw a couple up here, uh, one apart and one, one together. What's the one you saw this morning on your own, Chris? I saw a foreign film from, um, I believe it's Spain, <laughs> and it's called Blanca Nieve, and that's Spanish for basically Snow White. And this was a black-and-white film that was kind of done in the similar style to the artist where it was black and white and it was also silent and they would have a soundtrack you know behind it with musical score and some sound effects but um it was an interesting combination too because not only were they kind of retelling snow white but they're also combining it with the idea of bullfighting hmm. so snow white is this girl that ends up being trained how to bullfight by seven dwarf bullfighters <laughs> and they right. kind of take her under her wing and teach her how to bullfight it's it's just really interesting. I believe I'm not really there again showing my ignorance when our review of Quartet about opera, but I believe it's a combination of the Snow White story, but also of Carmen, that whole idea of... Because her, right. na- her name is actually... The girl's name before she takes on the name of Snow White is Carmen. Hmm. And so it's, it's a combination. The movie's kind of a combination of the artist, the opera Carmen, and then you have the, you know, the story of Snow White. So... It was really good. I really enjoyed it. And actually, without spoiling anything, I really appreciated the way the film ended. And um, it just, I actually think I liked it better than The Artist. So you can go back and listen to our Foot Cannon review when we talked about The Artist. But I, I really appreciate it. Right now, I think it's in very limited release. Hmm. But I think as the months progress, it may be in more of a wide release. But keep your eye out for it. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah, that was one I actually hated I missed. It sounded really interesting. So I'm glad you got to check that out. And uh, I'd, be, I'd be curious to see when it might be the most convenient time or way to see that in the future. Because I, I, it just sounded fascinating the way it was uh, the way it was shot and the way it was handled there. So I, I saw a documentary. It was my... I guess my only long-form documentary of the weekend, which was Time Zero, The Last Year of Polaroid. Okay. Which, you know, Chris, you're talking about the instamatic cameras, the instant printing cameras, the Polaroids. Take the photo, the photo pops out in the bottom. You know, it's a cultural icon. I had one of those growing up. Oh, yeah, sure. I think I did, too. And and, and this was a documentary about the fact that Polaroid went out of business. Gotcha. That film went out of production. that, 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 That type of film went out of production. That camera went out of production. But there's a whole community of photographers that have made livings and kind of working with Polaroid instamatic cameras. Okay. And a whole art form has developed off of the idea of I'm shooting a photograph and I'm I have it in my hand right when I finish taking it and I can do things with this this the these photographs. So this documentary is talking about this last year really of Polaroid, you know, the fact that it shut down, there's only a small handful of film canisters left that you can use with these cameras and now they're dwindling. Huh. And everybody's kind of sense of despair that this is going away as both an art form and just a cultural, uh, the significance of losing that. 
Okay. It does end on a little bit of a positive note with some efforts that are being made to rejuvenate that market and get the Polaroid cameras back up and running and shooting the same kind of instant print film cameras, uh, uh, film prints. I I enjoyed the documentary. I had a harder time seeing the passion that some people have for this because really all you're talking about, in my mind, is being able to take photographs that are instantaneously printed. When you've got things like Instagram and other uh, devices, other apps on your phone to take really creative, interesting-looking photographs and share them with people so much more broadly than you can a single printed uh, print that comes out of your camera. Sure. So I had a little bit of a hard time kind of feeling that same level of passion, why people would be so upset, even crying about the loss of the oh, Polaroid. Wow. Oh, so yeah. So passionate. Oh, there was definitely some passion in there. Okay. But I do understand it's, it's an art form. It is, it is something that we'd hate to see lost, this idea of instant printing of, of our photographs. It was encouraging to hear that there are some people working on building this back up, and so far, efforts have been somewhat successful with that. It was a very well-made documentary, though, I'll give it that. It was by director Grant Hamilton, who himself was a Polaroid artist for many years. Oh, okay. And that's what inspired him to actually make this film, is he himself was one of those passionate people, very upset that the Polaroid style of shooting was going away, and it was not going to be many other resources to use for, for keeping that going. Okay. So he was in attendance for the film, got to talk a little bit afterwards. Uh, it was a very well-made documentary, I'll give it that. It was shot extremely well, great interviews, very well done, well edited. You felt um, like you learned some history of Polaroid. The there was. Well. I could have used a little more history. Okay. Uh, honestly, I could have used a little more behind the scenes of what caused Polaroid to go so far downhill so quickly. Hmm. I know you could say it's because of the advent of digital cameras, but I, st- I still feel like a lot of companies can kind of reshape their services to take advantage of the digital age. Why didn't Polaroid do that? I'm very curious about that. Sure. Little things I wish I knew a little bit more about the company. The documentary really focused more on the people that were affected by Polaroid going away. Gotcha. I understand that was the tone of the film, that was the intent, and I'm fine with that. Good, well-made documentary, though. I'll give it that. Uh, Director Grant Hamilton, I think, uh, put together a really nice piece of work here on that. And finally, before we go into the shorts, you and I got to see a film just a few minutes ago. Oh, yeah, moments ago. Still fresh in our brains here called The Color of the Chameleon. Chris, tell us about this film. <laughs> okay, I, I will try. Um, yeah, try to tell us about the film. It is, to me, it was kind of like, uh, of course, I haven't seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but it's it's a guy who kind of wants, to, a young man who has a very troubled childhood. and He, he has des- some issues. He has some issues. And he decides that he, well, he is actually asked to be kind of a secret covert agent. Yes. And he works for the communist government in Bulgaria. And you see his struggles to do so. And then at one point, he is basically disavowed. And they're told him, we don't, we don't want you working for us anymore. And, He's yeah. cut loose. He's fired. And he doesn't take that too well. And he basically starts his own spy agency. Yes. And that's... That's, wow, I guess that, that's you a, summed it up a lot better than I probably could have. <laughs> this was a very, uh, it was a long film, almost, almost right at two hours, foreign film. I will give it this much. It was very well made, technically speaking. I thought the shots, I thought even the acting was all top notch. That being said, man, this was a tough story to follow at times. The tone was all over the place. It was. Ranging from co- sex comedy to extremely hardcore violence, mm-hmm. to the Tinker Tailor Soldier spy type of spy machinations. 
man, it was all over the place. It was, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't fall asleep in history class, but I could have always, of course, paid more attention. And the history to do with the Soviet Union and Bulgaria and communism, I know about, but I'm not really familiar with it. And I think maybe if I was more familiar with the dynamics of that, maybe the story would have meant more to me. Possibly or so. I would have understood what was going on. It was also a period piece in a way. I mean, even though it was shot, it was just a, a film made last year. Sure. It's taking place in late 80s, I right. believe, uh, Bulgaria. So again, not knowing some of the political strife that was going on at the time and the relationship with the Communist Party did hurt a little bit of the absorbing and understanding of the film. Um, I'll say this. If you get a chance to see this film, go in. Don't focus so much on trying to follow the plot. Focus a little more on watching the cinematography. Watch the acting of the lead actor, who um, I'm trying to remember his name here. Samuel Finzi, I believe, is the lead actor in this, playing Batco. Batco is definitely the character name. Yes, (laughs) and uh, it's worth watching from that angle. Just be prepared for a very dramatic mood shifts and tonal shifts all throughout the film. A very deep cast of characters. Yes. A lot of subplots going on. And uh, sometimes a little tough to follow because, of course, the names, too, from a foreign language standpoint are tough to distinguish sometimes. Sure. So, uh, it was a... I will say of the five that I saw outside of the short films... Or no, I guess it was four that we saw and then the short films. Mm -hmm. I saw four films total. I will say Color of the Camellia was probably my least favorite... Although I still gave it on a one to five scale, I gave it a three. Uh, I'd say beyond that, the next one up was the Polaroid documentary, a little bit of a bump up. Then it was Prince Prince Avalanche for me. And then Pincus was still my favorite film that I saw of the four. Okay. That I thought just because it really kind of caught me off guard, the blending of the documentary and narrative style worked really well for me on that. How would you rate the four you saw? Um, I'm on the same page that um, Color Chameleon, I did give it a three, but it does rank at the bottom of the feature films that I saw. And then, let's see, wow, Prince Avalanche would definitely be my number one. That was your number one? And then, um, probably just because of the uniqueness that it had going for it, the Blanca Nieve would be number two. And then Mar del Plata would be be third. But all the films were good and worth checking out. But Prince Avalanche, I was just really, really happiest stuff in my favorite. That was a very close to first for me, but I still think it's just barely eked it out just because I, I don't know, I wanted to root for the smaller film, I guess. Sure, too. I can you see know, that. Prince Avalanche, they got Paul Rudd working with them and Emile Hurst. They got a little bit more of an advantage in my mind on that. Um, Pincus, you know, I mean, the lead actor was there with the director afterwards to talk and you could tell it was a very homegrown, small resource effort and I think they did really well with it. Sure. So. Right. Now, one other thing we did on this film festival weekend here is we did go and see the late night shorts uh, that took place late last night. After a day of film going, Chris, a 10 o'clock combination of late night shorts <laughs> could be seen as a really tough thing to sit through. But I will True. say, I didn't I didn't bat my eyes once. It was, and, uh, it was it, easy to stay awake. It was very easy to stay awake. Uh, there was a very interesting mix of shorts. How do we... How do you, uh, you just want to kind of talk about our highlights here? Or? Sure. Well, actually, you know, since there were, um, let's see, 10? There were 10, there 10 were short 10. films. Since there were 10, we probably don't want to go into each individual one of them. But what I'm going to do is throw the question to you, Alan. If you were able to give three of these directors a check and say, okay, I want to see a feature film from you, 
which three would you say you wanted to have that opportunity to? Okay, of the ten short films, sure. the three that I'm going to say, you know what, these are directors, I would love to see them do something else, or I would actually go and follow up, see whatever they're working on next if I had the chance. Sure. I'll tell you, I really got a kick out of the one called Shoot for the Moon. Okay. Which was a... Basically, it was a mock behind the scenes of faking the moon landing on, uh, in 1969. I am not at all claiming that the moon landing was fake. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and go on record with that. But I think they took this idea of people that had this conspiracy theory that the moon landing was fake and said, you know what? I wonder what that, that set would have been like right. <laughs> to watch this happen. And that was really fun to watch. Just the typical things you would expect to see behind the scenes of a of a film production crew happening during the fake moon landing, I thought was just a lot of fun. Agreed, and, and I, I like the uh, Stanley Kubrick references. Yes, well, do. you had actually somebody playing Stanley Kubrick in the background, alluding to the rumors that supposedly he was involved he in the faking of the moon landing. If you believe that that actually happened, which I don't, and, uh, <laughs> I want to just be very clear about that for everybody listening. So, shoot for the moon. I'm going to say that's one. Uh, I know one that you're going to talk about in a second, The God Phone. I'm going to let you talk about that one in a minute because I guarantee you that's probably one of your top three. (laughs) And I'm going to go with the third one saying it's uh, Plush. Oh. (laughs) Only because... I think I know why you have a song. Well, I do. Anybody who knows me well in my family knows that films about teddy bears that come to life and and murder people has a special place (laughs) in my heart. And so Plush is an 11-minute film. Uh that uh, is about a woman who has a stuffed animal and the stuffed animal is alive and takes care of her, helps her out in her dating life <laughs> and also keeps uh, takes care of any burglars that try to break into her house. Uh, it was you gory. You don't, you don't have plush animals that take care of your no, well, life? No. I wish I did, believe me. <laughs> it was gory and violent, but it was fun and, and very funny. So I'd say those are probably my three that I still think about there's one or two more I know you're going to mention, so I'm going to let you go and talk about those as okay. well. What was your three favorite? Well, and this is in no particular order. I haven't, haven't had time to really sit and think about ranking, but first one I'll mention is Every Little Thing You Love. Yep. And basically, that was a music video, and it was for a band that I had not even heard of called The Binars, and that's B-Y-N-A-R-S, and it was kind of a riff on sci-fi genres and kind of like a Big Bang Theory episode in a way. Um, it's the nerdy kids, uh, nerdy kids. trying to to get on top of the, the cool kids. Right. So, yeah, right. And I really enjoyed it. And, you know, good test, too, is I want to go out and buy the song now because I really liked the song. I've already queued the song up on Spotify. <laughs> so, yes, that was actually my number four. And okay. I, I knew you were going to bring it up, so I intentionally didn't try to bring it up again. But, uh, all right, so yes, that's one of them. And right. then um, my number two would actually be the one that you've already mentioned, the Shoot for the Moon. I really, really liked that idea. It was just very, very clever. Little yeah. things all throughout it that just made me keep chuckling and kept well, my attention. I just really How funny it. is it that the director's getting ticked off because Neil Armstrong can't get his lines right, right. you know, when he, when he actually sets foot on the moon's surface and they're having to redo it and rewrite the script at the last minute. I just... It was, just, it was funny. It was very funny. <laughs> and let me, I'll actually, let me mention the director's names, too. Just every little thing you love was Jean-Paul de Cisco, and that was actually from the United States. Whereas Shoot for the Moon, I would have thought it would have been an American director, but it was actually somebody from Spain. Yeah. And the director when that one is uh, Cassandra Gago. I yeah. hope I'm saying that name correctly. Sure. But, um, and then I will mention the one that you were kind yeah. of teasing there uh, was a short called The God Phone. The God Phone. Yes. Yeah. 
and it was by uh, Dean Mar- Marcial, maybe? That's yep. his name? Mm-hmm. Sure. And basically, it's a down-and-out infomercial creator salesman stumbles upon the last invention, I believe, of his father. Yes. And it was a phone, basically, where you could talk to God. Yes. <laughs> and um, it's really kind of hard to explain. It was a mixture, cinematically or on the screen, it was a mixture of showing faked old infomercial commercials, but then, you know, present-day pristine footage, and it was just, it was very strange, but I really liked it, and it kind of reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode. Yes, it was like, like a box very, that came out. It was a very twisted Twilight Zone episode, and uh, I I love the fact that it, tone-wise, it was all over the place as yes. well, much like how we described The Color of the Chameleon, except this one was this a much shorter 20 me. minutes, this one worked really well, shifting from really really well done old early 90s infomercial type type footage of an infomercial one of those long commercials you get in the middle of the night for a really random product shifting between that and some very dark even disturbing imagery at times combine combining those two and just some really creative ways that they framed what was happening i thought it was great and uh the director was in, in attendance for the screening last night so i got to hear from him a little bit afterwards and uh, that it was just it was a it was an interesting experience for yeah, sure. I really enjoyed that. The animation ones were were really good, but I think the reason I can speak to why I gravitated towards the live action is because the majority of short films that I do see are animation. Yeah. So it takes more for an animated short film to stand out to me, whereas the live action I don't see that many live action short films. So those just kind of stood out to me because of that. Yeah, I kind of agree too, and I'm I'm, I'm a little more partial to live action just as a personal preference anyway. So it was good to see some of those in there. So it was fun though watching those from ten o'clock until midnight last night, uh, seeing some great short films there. I don't know if any of those are available online or be able to be watched, but you may want to try to do a search and see if you can find some of them. I would be surprised if some of these were not already easy to access and view uh, already. Maybe we can charge the intern with putting links to those in the show notes. <laughs> yes, I think I think it sounds like a good intern job for us there. So that's been the uh, that's been the River Run Film Festival. Just two days worth. I know we're not getting the full experience. We have to return back to our day jobs and families and all that. But having a couple good days out here at the festival gave us a good taste of what what they're able to pull off here. I think. Uh, Again, 140-some films being shown over the next seven to nine days. Uh, I know they're going to be showing uh, Mud yes. by Jeff Nichols uh, later this weekend. I'm hating that we're going to miss that, but uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with that on sometime. We showed, I think we did a review of Take Shelter in one of our early shows of we did. Foot Candle Films, and this is his follow-up to that film, which we both really, really appreciated. And uh, got a lot more going on this week, so... Some, yeah. some screenings, too, that they're going to be showing is The Iceman, which the guy, Michael Shannon, who was in Take Shelter, he's a star of that film, and that's going to be showing at River Run, and also The Brass Teapot, which is kind of a quirky <laughs> adventure action comedy thing. Sure. Good. Well, a lot, lot going on with it. By the time you listen to this, the festival may be close to getting over, but, you know, hey, if you get a chance and you're hearing this in time, swing on out there and check it out. Uh, you, can, you can still buy tickets for some of the screenings. But if nothing else, uh, follow them on Twitter, find them online, follow them from next year. Because I can, uh, I, I feel pretty confident in saying I think we'll be trying to make our way back over here next year, at least for a day or two. It's been a lot of fun. So, Chris, we're going to wrap up the show today with the okay. thing we always try to do in our episodes here and give one good film recommendation that's available online that we think people ought to be checking out. Maybe ones they missed and they're just not familiar with. Not the big name films all the time, but ones we just feel like you know people need to pay a little more attention to. So, do you mind going first? Why don't you tell us what your film is today? 
Well, in the spirit of you know film festivals and smaller independent films, I'm going to recommend G.I. Joe Retaliation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's showing here as well. So it, <laughs> it was down be. in the, the small uh, aperture, aperture theater, so it right. uh, should be showing. Right. No, no, I kid. Um, okay, so no, the film I'm going to talk about would be the film Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, and it okay. came out in uh, 2012. It stars uh, Aubrey Plaza from Parks and Rec fame and also has one of the Duplass brothers. And I just found the most, and let's see, I think it's Mark. This time it's, it's Mark Duplass who's acting in it. And I really enjoyed this film. And basically, what it is, the safety not guaranteed, the title comes from three magazine employees that are working at a, I think it's Seattle Magazine. They see a personal ad that basically says, hi, I'm this person, I want to time, I have time traveled, I want to time travel again, but I need somebody to go with me to help (laughs) me out. Your safety is not guaranteed. Uh, Hence the title. Yes, hence the title. Um movie goes in some unexpected directions and I really really enjoyed it. I was surprised because I thought it was going to be more cut and dry than it was. The ending actually really took me aback too because Mm. it being a smaller independent film, kind of a Sundance darling like a Little Miss Sunshine type thing, you kind of know it's going to have touches of drama, touches of comedy and I thought I knew where it was going to end up and I was incorrect which I like wow. I like that I like that's being a nice surprised surprise, yeah. yeah so I would um, I would highly recommend Safety Not Guaranteed the other thing I'll say about it is the soundtrack was done by one of the members of an independent rock band called Guster mm. and there again good side of the movie if I walk out of the movie wanting to buy some of the music from the movie and I walked out and I had to have the song Big Machine that was in the movie so well, that's that a good, a good, good song. time Audrey Plaza, um, I like her in Parks and Rec. I haven't seen her do anything other than that same character she plays in, in Parks and Rec. Is that okay? Um, the director, and I think the guy who I think he's also I want to say he's the writer. No, okay, I'm looking it up on the trustworthy IMDb. He's not the writer, but the writer wrote this part specifically for her because he wanted to work with her. Mm-hmm. It has shades of the Parks and Rec kind of jaded yeah the real jaded kind of just real sarcastic and droll but Um, there's a sensitivity to this girl and more layers that that the kind of droll you know jaded gets peeled away and there's more there okay so I I was actually pleased to see some more depth in character for Audrey Plaza when she gets to she's she's starting to do a lot more work right now. I mean, I've seen her name pop up in a lot more films coming out in the next couple of years, so I'm, I'm curious about it. I really like her in Parks and Recreation. I think she's funny in that part, but again, that's the only thing I see her do. Right. Even in interviews, it, it's a little on the droll, sarcastic side with everything. I just, I'm hoping she's someone that has a little more range than that. So I think also the sensitivity that they handle the Kenneth character, who's the one Mark Duplass plays the sensitivity of the guy who put the personal I did they did a very good job of balancing of balancing that good okay so. well Chris have you seen the film Grown Ups no the Adam Sandler film no you haven't is Kevin James and he is. is it Chris Rock yep Okay. I haven't either, oh. uh, but that's a good segue now. I do want to talk about okay. Adam Sandler in general. Yeah. Um, I think everybody has a certain picture of Adam Sandler, and for the most part, they're right. I think <laughs> he makes some really horrible movies, and there's not many of his comedies I can really recommend. Uh, in my mind, there's only two films I've enjoyed that he's been in that I think he did a really good job in. And okay. one of them is the film Funny People. Not a great film, but I think he did a really good job in it. 
Uh, and that was the, uh, gosh, the guy who did Knocked Up and... Uh, yes, I don't drawing remember a blank name. on his name. I am right now, too. We don't have Inter <laughs> Nick with us right now, I so know. don't know the names. All right, but the one I'm going to talk about is Punch Drunk Love. Gotcha. Um, I am a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. You know my love for the master. I do. Uh, I've already brought that up, and you do not share that love, but that's okay. We still will have this show together regardless. <laughs> um, there Will Be Blood, I was a little underwhelmed with, but it's worth me seeing again. I want to check it out again for a better view. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, some of my absolute favorite films. Love them. Great films. Um, so Punch Truck Love kind of slid in the middle. It happened after Magnolia. I think it was his fourth film total. Um, Emily Watson, which a, a co-star you would not expect to pair up with Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler's playing a character called Barry Egan, uh, a very neurotic, psychologically troubled, just a very odd character, odd, odd fellow. And you would think, okay, well, maybe Adam Sandler's going to have fun playing this. Right. No, it actually looks like Adam Sandler is painful playing this character, which is good. It actually makes it really tough to watch at times. I think you really, they build up the tension in this film at times using the, the use of music and some different, um, uh, yeah, audio elements they use with, with noises kind of ratcheting up the tension at times when you know he's going to break at times. He's right. got a, a very overbearing family with tons of sisters. I don't know how many sisters he's got, five or six sisters. When they get together, it's just overpowering. And you can tell that's that's created part of his neurosis where just being around this larger family and just getting overwhelmed by things. But it's in the end, this is a love story. He falls in love. And it's troubling. It's painful to watch. It takes some, some darker terms at times. In particular, a, an experience he has with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. The mattress the, guy. The mattress guy who also <laughs> runs a uh, phone sex line. Uh, does not go very well. It's a very tense, somewhat humorous, but it, probably more scary than anything. So, um, overall, though, I thought that's one of those films where it showed me that Adam Sandler is, is capable of doing something more. Um, and I think that's really impressive to see. So, to me, Punch Drug Love, I actually got a chance to watch part of it again just the other day. So, that's kind of popped back up on my radar here. And uh, have we mentioned that film before? We've talked about Paul Thomas Anderson, but I don't, I don't think we've mentioned we've this film before. Okay, hey, are you are you a fan of the film? Do you like I, it? I am. I okay. am as well. I really like it, and it kind of. I'd never really liked Adam Sandler. Right. I, mean, I no. had never cared for. I mean, he was okay when he was on Saturday Night Live, but never really cared for. Any Even of then, movies. he was never one of my favorites, and I never got into the, the Billy Madison, the Water Boy, some of those real broad comedies he did. I saw a couple of them. The Wedding Singer is the only one that I can actually say I enjoyed, mainly because I like the '80s music and. I thought it was a better story than a lot of his other films. But even so, I, I just don't care for him as a comedic actor. But um, this film showed something. Yes. I wish I he'd do more of these, though. I mean, it's like kind of funny that he did this film and he got a lot of critical acclaim for it. A lot of critics starting to say, hey, Adam Sandler can actually act a little bit. And then he went right back to doing these really broad, dumb comedies. Sure. And he's still doing them to this day. Well, he returned and did Funny People. which He I... did Funny People, which actually is kind of funny in that it comments on him being an actor that does this really horrible set of movies. Yes. He plays a character that's kind of a, much like himself, it's a comedian, playing funny parts in movies, and they're really horrible movies. <laughs> and it's kind of him coming to grips with, the, hey, I don't want to be that guy all the time anymore. But yet, he did Funny People, got a lot of acclaim for his performance in that, and then he went back and did more stupid movies. So, it's almost like he can comment on himself as an actor, but yet he's not willing to 
change whether he likes the paychecks he's getting or maybe I mean, he would just hey. rather sit around and make funny movies with his friends and not worry about quality as much. I don't know. Sure. So, anyway, Punch Drunk Love, I think you ought to check out. If you're at all a film of the last couple of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's films, The Master, There Will Be Blood, some of the ones that got a lot more Oscar nominations in the last few years, go back and check out Punch Drunk Love, see what you think. His take on a very quirky romance, uh, very odd romance story uh, with two great performances by Adam Sandler and Emily uh, Emily Watson. All right. So that's our recommendations for today. And we're here enjoying our time at the River Run. We're getting ready to go back home, leave the film festival environment. So we're kind of kind of hating to see it go. <laughs> but it's time to go back to reality again for a while. Uh, River Run International Film Festival. We definitely recommend you check it out. Learn more about it online. And if you don't get a chance to squeeze on out here this year, by the time you listen to the show, uh, definitely put it on your calendars for next year. It's worth worth your time. So, Chris, guess we'll go hit the road. Sound Sounds good to good. you? All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Foot Candle Films. Again, we're on the mesh.tv. Go listen to all of our back episodes and hear other reviews and discussions we've had about films in general and movie news. Uh, the mesh.tv is where you can find all of that. You can also find all the other shows that we have on the Mesh Network. And if you want to learn more about our film society, Foot Candle Film Society, go to footcandle.org. We also host all of our uh, Foot Candle Films episodes there as well, so you can get them at either place. I definitely encourage you to go check them out and download as, download to your heart's content. Have make, make a whole weekend of it, just listening to back <laughs> shows. I think that's always fun. So, for Alan and Chris, and Chris. All right, we'll see you next time. Take care. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.